Looking to get out of your own way and make things happen? Do you love inspiration and tips that are based on the science of happiness and well-being? If so, default to yes is for you. New episodes are released every Monday with the occasional bonus episodes with expert guests, each one designed for inspiration to keep us moving in the right direction. Whether you're dealing with obstacles that have been around for a long time or are on a journey of new challenges, know that you are not alone. The Default to Yes podcast is nurse coach and aromatherapist Julie Reynolds on the journey with you, your extraordinary self. We deal in truth and experiment with solutions, training our fascinating brains to cooperate as we show up in the world the way we really want, make the difference we desire without sacrificing our overall well-being. Welcome to the Default to Yes podcast. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Default to Yes. We are working our way through the pillars of lifestyle medicine. These are all the areas of health and well-being that need some intention if you are someone who wants to get up every day and default to yes, your extraordinary self, which if you're listening, that's you. So I'm on the journey with you and I'm finding the pillar of focus today a little ironic as I am recovering from a significant time of missing sleep and feeling the effects of that this week. My coach puts out reminders all the time that that you probably how you're feeling today is the result of what went on 72 hours ago. So that's actually pretty helpful when you're feeling sluggish or you're not feeling your best or if you're feeling great either way to track back what you did 72 hours ago to make that happen. Did you hydrate? Did you sleep? Were you eating well? Did you get your exercise? All of these things that we're talking about that make up the pillars of lifestyle medicine that we can pay attention to and track on. So that's a little side note. So today we're diving into the third pillar sleep. Now, this is an area that I have had to apply some discipline to because I don't necessarily enjoy sleeping. I'm envious of those of you who do, but I haven't really gotten there. I have been one of those people that I would rather be doing something than sleeping. I'd rather be reading than sleeping. So my sleep improved only after studying, which is how I do everything, think, create, and learn. I had to study it and create a strategy and learn the why and how how important sleep was to making the other things that I did naturally care about happen. So I've been on this journey for a while, and I'm happy to say that I pretty consistently get enough sleep these days, which wasn't always my story. Now I'm excited to share with you the fascinating science behind sleep and the importance of quality rest and debunk some of the common myths. When I am being my personal best, I'm giving everything that I can to do the best that I can for someone else. When I do my personal best, I have a good day overall. To make it the best day you can for that patient or that coworker, that's my personal best. That's what it looks like when I default to yes. I love to hear from you on what it looks like for you when you default to yes. And there are occasions that I have been known to stick a microphone in front of a coworker and ask them the question, what does it look like for you when you default to yes? And this week you got one of my amazing coworkers, Deanne, got her answer to that. And when we want to show up at our best and do our personal best, this pillar, sleep, 
is crucial for making all of that happen. So thank you, Deanne, for responding when I turned the microphone on and sharing with us what it looks like when you default to yes. So sleep can often be overlooked in all of the busyness, but it is a vital pillar of overall well-being. Science has shown us that sufficient and restorative sleep is crucial for our physical and our mental health. The National Sleep Foundation recommends that adults aim for seven to nine hours of quality sleep per night. But what exactly happens when we sleep? And I think this is fascinating. Our bodies go through various stages of sleep, including deep sleep and REM, that rapid eye movement sleep. And during deep sleep, our body repairs and regenerates tissues, builds bone and muscle, and strengthens the immune system. The REM sleep, on the other hand, is responsible for those cognitive functions, memory consolidation, and dreaming. It's a fascinating process that occurs every night. Those restorative functions that we rely on, as well as the cognitive functions and memory consolidation, all of those things that happen, but only happen when we get in those whole 90-minute cycles. Now, this is also what I based some of the practices in my morning ritual on as well. So on the other side of going to sleep is waking up. And if you want to access that, reimaginewellness.org forward slash yes, you can access the morning shift there. So it's a whole guide on how to design your waking up. Okay. So let's go back to the getting to sleep in the first place. So what happens when we don't get enough sleep? Matthew Walker, a renowned sleep scientist and the author of the book, Why We Sleep, describes sleep deprivation as a public health crisis. When we consistently lack sufficient sleep, our bodies suffer. We become more susceptible to chronic diseases like obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular problems. Our cognitive abilities also decline, impacting our memory, attention, and decision-making skills. We also can experience mood swings and irritability and reduced productivity. Those are the things that we usually notice when we're really overly tired. We'll notice some of those things, the mood swings or the irritability. We notice that we can't do things as well as we could, or we just don't feel like doing it, or we just don't feel good. But all of those other things of overall health are also at play. In fact, I'm feeling some of that this week. And sometimes when life happens, we're going to miss out on sleep. And this week I was with my mother-in-law as she recovered from hip replacement surgery, which I was glad that it worked out the way it did so that I could be there. And for the most part, it went well. She's doing great now too. But I didn't sleep much for the first couple of days, and I drank way more coffee than I ever do. In fact, one day I was drinking my coffee black and liking it. I don't drink black coffee. So that was really saying something. Now that's over now, and I'm back to adding my oat milk or coconut milk in now and weaning myself off again as well. And I'm really glad that this was something that I'd already worked on so that I could get back to my bedtime ritual and start sleeping again. Now that also brings me to a couple common myths about sleep because one prevalent myth is that we can catch up on lost sleep like over the weekends, we can go a couple days and miss sleep. Maybe you have a deadline. Maybe you have a big project you're working on. Maybe you pick up an extra shift. Whatever the reason is that you miss sleep, we tell ourselves that we can miss sleep and we'll just make up for it later. That's not entirely true. While we can repay some of the sleep debt, it's not a sustainable long-term solution. 
consistency in our sleep pattern is essential for getting the full benefits of quality sleep. Now, Walker discusses that concept of sleep debt and its impact on our health and well-being in his book. Sleep debt refers to the cumulative effect of insufficient sleep over time. When you consistently get less sleep than your body needs, this sleep debt accumulates and it can have negative effects on your health, cognition, and the overall well-being. When you have the opportunity to then get additional sleep after experiencing sleep deprivation, it can help reduce the immediate effects of sleep debt. This extra sleep can restore some of your alertness and cognitive function and physical well-being. However, it's important to note that, again, even with additional sleep, you may not fully recover all the functions and benefits that uninterrupted regular sleep would provide. That may sound like a no-brainer, but it's important to notice that while you might feel better after getting extra sleep and trying to make that up, it's still important to prioritize and maintain consistent sleep. Let's not not make a habit of giving up sleep for different goals and projects and things that we want to do. And remembering that maintaining a consistent sleep schedule going forward to avoid accumulating more sleep debt because chronic sleep deprivation can have long-term consequences and trying to catch up on sleep sporadically is not a sustainable solution. All right, another myth is that we can function optimally with less than recommended hours of sleep. You all know someone, and hopefully you aren't that person, you all know someone who says, I don't need that much sleep. Four hours, I'm good. Six hours, I'm good. Some people pride themselves on surviving on only a few hours of sleep. But the truth is is they're not likely to be performing actually at their best. It's actually very rare to have somebody be, I think, what they call a short sleeper. Science consistently shows us that the vast majority of adults need seven to nine hours of sleep to function optimally and maintain good health. You may be able to cognitively function and make the decisions and not feel that impact, but over time, that what we were referring to as sleep debt could catch up to you in other ways of health issues. I remember working nights many years ago thinking I was functioning well. I really did think I was doing okay, and I was a little irritated by everyone telling me to take a nap. And looking back, and especially seeing some pictures, I understand why they were telling me that, and my perception of how I was doing was not in line with reality as I thought at the time. And that could be the case for you or for your friends who think they can get by on less sleep than what is recommended. In a lot of ways, to increase the sleep habit is should be like that really easy thing to do. Most of us don't really have to work at sleep. You're doing nothing, right? You're resting. And I like the idea of the discipline of how much we're getting done now. I didn't always I didn't always appreciate how much I was getting done while I was sleeping how much benefit my body was getting and how much more productive I would be during the day, how I would remember things better, how I would have better um, ability to solve problems and learn new skills if I just slept. And that's such an easy thing to do, such a simple solution, but it's not always easy. So what can we do to improve our sleep habits? Matthew Walker suggests adopting healthy sleep practices, and this is establishing a consistent sleep schedule by going to bed and waking up at the same time every day, 
even on weekends and days off, and then creating a soothing pre-sleep routine that allows our mind and body to relax. That involves avoiding caffeine, nicotine, and electronic devices close to bedtime. Those can all interfere with sleep quality. Alcohol is another one that he recommends to avoid. So let's look a little closer at those things that we are to avoid because those are things that are just built into the way we function throughout the day. Caffeine, hopefully um, not very many of you are relying on nicotine, but electronic devices, hello, our phones are our alarm clocks, so they sit right by our bed. And sometimes it's the last thing that we do before we go to sleep is we might check for text messages or emails, or we might scroll on social media. So that's something to really pay attention to. We might get up from watching TV or watching a movie and go to bed. So all of those things are things that we can look at to improve our sleep routines or our pre-sleep routines. Okay, let's look at caffeine first, because this is something that plays in my head and why it's so important to maybe eliminate it or at least moderate it as we go through our day. First, there are some things to remember about caffeine as you consider this. Caffeine has a half-life about five to seven hours, which means it takes that amount of time for your body to eliminate half the caffeine consumed. So the full effects of caffeine can actually last much longer than you think. And some people can even be experiencing its effects for up to 10 to 12 hours. So as a result of consuming caffeine, especially later in the day, this can interfere with falling asleep and staying asleep at night. So everybody has a little different sensitivity to caffeine. Some individuals may be more affected by its stimulating effects than others. Factors like genetics, metabolism, and regular caffeine consumption can influence how caffeine actually affects someone's sleep. So it's true it affects us all differently. And this is for those of you who think that you are immune to the effects of caffeine. I am someone who can drink a cup of coffee in the evening and not even notice the effect on my sleep. So this is actually important for me to become aware of how caffeine works in the body. And Then to watching my friends who rely on regular doses to be awake and alert throughout the day, I can see how this works. Caffeine actually exerts its effects on the body by interacting with adenosine receptors. Now to understand the impact of caffeine on adenosine, we need to explore the role of adenosine in regulating sleep and wakefulness. Adenosine is a naturally occurring substance that in the body plays a key role in promoting sleep and regulating our sleep-wake cycle. Throughout the day, adenosine levels gradually increase, reaching their peak in the evening, which helps promote sleepiness. Adenosine binds to specific receptors in the brain known as adenosine receptors, triggering this cascade of processes that promote sleep. Now, when we consume caffeine, it acts as a competitive antagonist to adenosine, which means basically caffeine competes with adenosine for the same receptors in the brain. Now, what we like about caffeine is that at the same time, by blocking adenosine receptors, caffeine produces its stimulating effects. It promotes wakefulness, it reduces drowsiness, and enhances that alertness and cognitive performance. We like that, right? Because for those afternoon slumps or sometimes in the morning when we're trying to get up and get started, 
We like that alertness and that cognitive boost. Now, essentially, caffeine is tricking the brain into thinking it's not tired by blocking sleep-promoting signals of adenosine. So that's one thing when we want to be awake, but it's another thing when we want to be asleep. Because binding to those receptors, caffeine blocks the action of adenosine that is there to signal sleepiness. Now, with all that in mind, for those of you who are already not liking the whole idea of avoiding caffeine, it may be helpful to note that while caffeine can provide a temporary boost of alertness and energy, it doesn't replace the restorative benefits of sleep. And by blocking the action of adenosine, it doesn't stop it. The buildup of adenosine in the brain continues despite the caffeine consumption. And when the effects of caffeine wear off, the sleep drive associated with adenosine becomes more pronounced, leading to increased sleepiness. So if we're trying to overcome some of that fatigue and sleepiness with caffeine, it's only making those crashes a little bit more pronounced as we go throughout the day. So just something to think about with that caffeine consumption. So we may want, we probably need a better solution for energy source for those rough mornings and afternoon slumps. So maybe some inhaled wild orange and peppermint essential oils. My favorite is actually frankincense and wild orange, but any citrus oils are very uplifting and energizing. The limonene content in that in their chemistry profile just lends itself to being more uplifting and waking. So maybe inhaling some like I said, wild orange and peppermint essential oils in the afternoon instead of that cup of coffee might be something that you could try. Okay, so if caffeine consumption is something that you want to change based on half-life, we could start with moderating our consumption, especially as the day progresses to promote better sleep. Consuming caffeine within six to eight hours before bedtime can significantly disrupt sleep onset and sleep qualities. All right, let's leave the coffee and the caffeine aside and talk about avoiding alcohol. Yep. One of the recommendations is to avoid alcohol. I know a lot of people who will have a glass of wine in the evening because it is more relaxing and and it has that feeling that it's going to help you fall asleep. And while it initially may make you feel drowsy and help you fall asleep faster, it can actually have a negative impact on the quality of your sleep. Alcohol consumption can disrupt the natural sleep cycle by suppressing REM sleep. That's the stage where most of our dreaming occurs and essential cognitive processes take place. This means fragmented and less restorative sleep. It can also cause you to wake more frequently during the night because as the alcohol is metabolized, it can act as a stimulant, causing you to wake up and disrupt your sleep continuity. Alcohol can also worsen or trigger sleep disorders such as sleep apnea as it relaxes the muscles in the throat and increases the likelihood of breathing obstructions during sleep. Also doesn't exactly help with snoring, which by the way, can also be helped with essential oils that open the airways like eucalyptus, cardamom, peppermint, ravensara. doTERRA makes a great blend called Breathe that's great for that in case you are a snorer or no one. All right, so getting back to alcohol, it's also diuretic, meaning that increases urine production and can can lead to dehydration. And this can also disrupt your sleep as you may even wake up to go to the bathroom or get thirsty and feel like you need to drink some water during the night. 
So I just felt like we needed to talk a little bit more about the why of avoiding alcohol and caffeine, because I know we like our coffee, we like our glass of wine, and we have the idea that it's helping us. And sometimes we just need to think through some of those things and understand why we might not want to rely on those things as good solutions. All right, getting back to creating a sleep routine, I like the idea of a bedtime ritual that starts about an hour before bedtime. In fact, I have an alert set in my phone and it's set for the same time every day, no matter what is going on in my life at the time. Because even if I'm in a place where I can't implement it, like maybe I'm out or I'm doing something that I'm maybe going to shift my bedtime a little bit just out of necessity, I can begin the mental work of releasing the day and transitioning into a more restful period. And if I'm doing something that I don't need to be doing, then it triggers the need to value sleep and start this process. Keeping a regular sleep schedule, even on weekends and days off, is key to just setting our body in a place where it's not so much work to make this sustainable. So limit exposure to bright light in the evening and establishing relaxing pre-sleep routines. Mine involves aromatherapy, journaling, reading, affirmations, turning off screens, which is something honestly I can do better with, and creating a sleep-friendly environment that's cool, quiet, and dark. This is actually a really nice time to release the tension, to reflect on the day, and get yourself ready for a good night's sleep and a good wake up. Now, for those of you who are struggling beyond the point of simple solutions like establishing a routine, maybe you even have seen someone and then you've been diagnosed with insomnia. You've done all of this and you still don't sleep. Or maybe you haven't seen anybody and you've done all of this and you still don't sleep. It may be time to see a sleep specialist. So don't just keep trying. It's really too important not to get the help that you need. I think it's safe to say that most of my aromatherapy clients, especially those who are healthcare professionals, got started with essential oils because of sleep. Pain, anxiety, and sleep are usually the reasons why people come to me for aromatherapy. Essential oils can be a big help for sleep. Most of my clients have found an aromatherapy routine has been really helpful to set them up for a good night's sleep, to get to sleep and stay asleep. Some of my clients also have found the solutions in a combination of aromatherapy, a consistent bedtime ritual that involved cognitive behavior therapy, of which I'm familiar with, but I'm not a specialist in. So there are solutions that we can arrive on our own. There are also times when we need to reach out to a specialist. The field of sleep medicine has made significant advancements in the recent years. And so if you are someone who struggles beyond the normal sleep deprivation and sleep habits, this is something that should give you a lot of hope. The research consistently demonstrates the effectiveness of sleep interventions in improving sleep quality and overall well-being. So some of those things, I already mentioned cognitive behavioral therapy, but cognitive behavioral therapy for insomnia, CBTI. It's considered the gold standard for treating chronic insomnia. Numerous studies have shown that CBTI can effectively improve sleep quality, reduce sleep onset latency, that time that it takes to fall asleep, decrease nighttime awakenings, and alleviate the symptoms of of insomnia without the need for medication. Now, there are a couple other things to look at if you're really struggling with sleep 
quantity or quality, sleep apnea management, the use of a CPAP or continuous positive airway pressure. That is a primary treatment for obstructive sleep apnea. CPAP machines you're probably familiar with deliver that continuous flow of air pressure and prevent the collapse of the airway and improve breathing during sleeping. So if you are somebody who suspects that you have this or think maybe somebody that you know does, it's a good idea to get it checked out. Sleep apnea is very hard on your heart and it's something that really does require some attention. Circadian rhythm disorders, that's another thing that could be at play here if you're really struggling. And light therapy is a widely recognized treatment for circadian rhythm disorders, such as delayed sleep phase disorder and shift work sleep disorder. If you are someone who has worked night shift for years and years, or maybe you still do, or maybe you go back and forth, this is something to also just take note of. Light exposure, particularly in the morning, can regulate the body's internal clock and improve sleep-wake patterns. There are a lot of studies that show that incorporating all of these sleep hygiene practices, these good bedtime routines, can help enhance sleep duration and quality. Now, it's worth noting that while medication can be prescribed to address sleep specific disorders or short-term sleep issues, the long-term focus in sleep medicine is on non-pharmacological interventions, such as the things we've talked about, behavioral and lifestyle modifications to promote sustainable and natural improvements in sleep. Now, especially with our focus on lifestyle medicine, we can leave the pharmaceuticals to the allopathic doctors. We'll let them explain the gaps between the promises these drugs make and what the research actually says. All right. If you're struggling with the quality or quantity of sleep that you need, start with a sustainable, enjoyable bedtime routine. This is a great time to close the day, to celebrate the wins, to notice all the things that we have to be grateful for. Setting up a diffuser with relaxing essential oils next to your bed about 30 minutes before you're going to get in bed, turning off screens and lights, taking some slow, deep breaths, releasing the day. Those are all things that I incorporate into my bedtime ritual. And it's like giving yourself a gift of time at the end of the day just to honor it. And along with contributing to a good night's sleep also helps the wake up. I'd love to hear what you are doing to close the day and prepare for your sleep. Now, as we wrap up, I want to share a quote from Matthew Walker's book, Why We Sleep. And if you haven't read that book, it's a great book. I'll put the link in the show notes so that you can just go right there and find it easily. This quote, it's the quote that comes up when my bedtime reminder or notification comes up on my phone. He writes, the best bridge between despair and hope is a good night's sleep. It's a powerful statement that reminds us of the transformative power of sleep and the positive impact that it can have on our overall well-being. We can solve a lot of our problems with a good night's sleep. All right, if you enjoyed this episode and found it helpful, subscribe and share with your friends. Click the link in the show notes or go to reimaginewellness.org forward slash yes and get on the email list so I can send you these episodes and resources I share and additional tips and opportunities to your inbox. That also makes it easy for you to share your tips with me because there you could just hit reply and you can tell me what is coming up for you. What do you want to talk more about? You can share your tips on what it looks like for you to default to yes. I'd love to hear from you. 
And remember, sleep is not a luxury, but a necessity. It's time to prioritize it in our lives. Aim for those seven to nine hours of quality sleep each night, maintain a consistent sleep schedule, and adopt those healthy sleep habits. Until next time, sweet dreams, treat yourself to a nice bedtime ritual. Your body and mind will thank you as you wake up every day and default to yes, your extraordinary self.